Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Kind Cody podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lauren, motivational speaker, life coach, and addiction specialist. How are you doing today? I'm really good. I'm really good. Um, I'm enjoying life. Um, I was thinking about this when you asked me about um, how I'm doing. Um, when I was younger, there was always something that was going on, like some sort of like insanity within my life. Um, when I'm, you know, waking up, going to work, going to bed, there's no drama. I'm happy. <laughs> so I, I feel like today's when I've got nothing to say, that's when it's a good day. You know, oh, that's great. And you know, I'm good. I'm good. Well, that's great to hear. It's great to hear. And I mean, I suppose the, the nice weather outside uh, always helps that as well. Um, I just cycled. I actually just cycled outside um, with like, I put oil on and I literally cycled for like an hour. <laughs> nice. Be, I was gonna say that that's why you've got got the tan going on. Mm-hmm. But as you were saying, anyway, you, you you were talking a little bit about when you were younger. Um, for any of our listeners that aren't aware of you, Lauren, um, tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, like, I'm I'm a Jewish girl from Hertfordshire. I live in Hertfordshire. Um, I've got two brothers and a sister. Um, came from a traditionally amazing family on the outside. Um, but just had a lot of trauma in my childhood that led me to a lot of issues um through drugs and alcohol and bulimia were like my main substances that I picked up so like I battered addiction at a young age um how old were you sorry I was when I started drinking I was 11 Um, and I started fairly young um it was like like quite common for my community to like go to parties and get really drunk and smoke weed and you know, it was really cool to be friends with the cool people, you know, and I, I don't know if anyone relates to this, but, you know, when you're in secondary school and you want to be the cool person, you want to smoke behind the, you know, the school, the school gates. And the you bike sheds and all that. Yeah, yeah. Of. Yeah. And and that was me. I was that person who just wanted to be part of. And I, I made a lot of friends that were like twice my age and I thought it was amazing. So, like, I did start doing all that stuff very young. Um but for me, the, 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 the element of low self-esteem was always there. And the reason why I share that was because I didn't know how to say no. And also, I didn't know who I was. So when I was younger, I felt like I had to try and fit in to, in this facade of what people wanted me to be. And the facade for what I was you know, brought up with was... I had to look good, um, I had to have a good job, I had to go to university and get a degree, I had to have a boyfriend, I had to, um, you know, try and show my status or my external validation. And a lot of that led me to self-sabotaging behaviours because really it wasn't really me, so it wasn't my authentic truth. And now with my motivational speaking, I talk about my authentic truth because when I was this like four-year-old girl, I was a bit of a tomboy. I loved playing football. Um, I had no care in the world about what people thought of me. Um, I was a bit of a nerd. I loved poems. It sounds so silly. Um, <laughs> I was quite introverted. Like my dad used to call me like the untalked to bunny um, because I used to not talk. And then when I went to secondary school, that was when it was like, Lauren, you need to become something. And, mm. you know, by the age of 14, I was wearing like hair, hair extensions. I was wearing makeup. And I lost loads of weight because I thought the only way that guys would like me is to be skinny. Um, I started modeling. Um, the, the kind of expectation that I thought that the only way to be liked in this world was by doing this, this, and this, and this. But really deep down, what I wasn't doing was 
I wasn't accepting myself. And the more I wasn't accepting myself, the more I was self-sabotaging because I wasn't being true and authentic to who I am. And I think a lot of people struggle in this, trying to keep up with that facade. Like I definitely, um, I definitely feel like I became happier as a person as I got older by becoming that person that I've always been. Um, but the drinking and the drugs were all an element of like, I wasn't happy. I didn't yeah. love myself. They were um, coping mechanisms. Yeah, they were coping mechanisms of trying to cope with life. Um, but also they were covering up how I really felt about everything, pretty much. So to, I mean, that's you've you've articulated yourself really well there. I think so your addiction started at eleven and then through school and years of peer pressure. Did that did the did the addiction of alcohol um, did that become a gateway to other parts of addiction? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I, I knew that I had an addictive personality. I knew that I had family members around me that also had addictive personalities or also gone through addiction. Um, and when I drank alcohol, it got to the point where alcohol wasn't good enough. And then. Mm you know, at the age of 14, 15, my best friend turned around to me and she was like, do you want to try ecstasy and MDMA? And because I tried alcohol and it wasn't good enough, I thought, well, I'm going to try that. And, you know, that was the that was the beginning of, of drugs. And, you know, when I tried ecstasy and MDMA, I was like, okay, well, that gives me a high, but how can I get higher? And I was addicted to the feeling of not feeling and also addicted to the feeling of getting high but also because I couldn't deal with life and I couldn't deal with what was going on around me. I couldn't deal with insecurities. I couldn't deal with, you know, actual day-to-day living. The feeling of getting high and being drunk outweighed the feeling of living. Um, but how it worked was it manifested into, I cannot control this anymore. So at the beginning, it was like, I've got this, I can control this. And then it stopped basically me controlling it and it took control of me. And by right. the end of 18, it manifested in some sort of like, you know, if you told me to do heroin, I'd fucking do it. Like it wasn't, it was like all my moralistic compass was out of the window. All of my, you know, ideals of life was out the window because from the ages of 11 to 18, I lost myself. Because when you start doing drinking and drugs and you start doing the things that you aren't, you become a different person. You lose your identity. So there's a part of you inside that's like, well, it's fine now because I've done this, this and this, I can just do this. And when you lose yourself, you almost, you know, can't even look at yourself in the mirror. Like I hated myself so much. And when you lose yourself, you lose your self-esteem, you lose your self-worth, you lose your ability to even like care about anything in the world and you become this very resentful person. And that's the person I became. Of course. Angry human being because... I wasn't living up to who I really was, you know, truly. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was they, they say it was a progressive illness. It was definitely progressive. And then within that, I had, you know, the eating disorder, which was like, I had to look a certain way. So it started from under eating. Um, and then I literally, every single person under the sun would be like, oh my God, you lost so much weight. This is the insanity. You lost so much weight. You look amazing. That right. fed me and I was like okay well I've got to keep skinny so I was like not eating at all then I lost my periods 
then I couldn't keep up with it and I started to binge. And then the binging was like really bad, so I'd purge. And then from the ages like 15 to 18, 19, I was full-blown bulimic. And no one knew about it. And the funny thing is, is that if you looked at my life on the outside, I portrayed this perfect way of myself. So I had a job, I was working in clubs, I was making loads of money, I was a personal trainer, I was, you know, I was, I was at university studying business, I had a boyfriend, like my external was completely different to my internal, but every single night I was self-sabotage. Right. And, and living that lie is one of the most fucking, sorry to swear. <laughs> it's okay. One of the most probably tiring things I've ever done in my life. Oh, I, I can imagine so. And, um, you know, to the outside world, you, you had this picture perfect life what that people would have looked at and aspired to be. But for someone like yourself, you know, when you were 18, 19, what did an average day look like for you? How much different was it to now, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I... 18, 19, I, I, I mean, I was smoking cigarettes, I was getting up and I was, you know, um, not quite lazy. I was, you know, very much about going out partying. Um, I was very much about, you know, my social circle. Everything was about socialising. Um, I was all about going to nice places with nice people who weren't really my friends. Um, and it was all... Um, it was all superficial, my life. To keep up appearances, yeah. Keep up appearances, yeah. And I had no, I had no care in the world about what, pe what other people at all. Everything was about me. Every thought that I woke up with was about how I can get my fix. How can I do this? How can I do that? It was all about me. I had no, I was very selfish. I was a very selfish mm. being. And it wasn't until I ended up at rehab at 18 that like, I realized how selfish I was because my ideal in life was like, if you had my problems, you would do the things that I would do. Like, feel it was like, feel sorry for me. Like, at the age of 12, my mom had breast cancer. At the age of 15, um, you know, one of my family members went into rehab for alcohol. Um, at the age of 18, my baby brother got cancer. Like, I had a lot of trauma in my childhood that affected me. So the way that I thought of life was like, well, fuck it, I might as well drink. Mm. Might as well drugs and actually feel sorry for me rather than like no actually I need to actually stand up to this and do something about this and be present for my family members no I wasn't pre I wasn't there for them yeah from running it's it what well, it's it, it's like you say you became addicted to the feeling of not feeling so those problems that you had and those traumatic experiences you had in your early adolescence your coping mechanism was the drink and the drugs to essentially not feel those and not have to take accountability or responsibility for really feeling those feelings mm -hmm. i mean you know you as you alluded to there there was a few traumatic experiences that you experienced um what was the catalyst to change like what what was the turning point for you where you thought this is enough now mm. um and i want to change i felt like what was happening was i was in a very controlling relationship with a guy that treated me like shit. The reason why he treated me like shit was because I hate, I treated myself like shit, you know, because I didn't love myself. Why would anyone, why would I love anyone else? I, I attracted that, that man. Um, every day when my brother would, was going through chemo, I was either throwing up or drinking or doing drugs. Um, I was making myself dizzy and ill. Um, I wasn't, there was a period where I didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't look in the mirror and 
And I was very lucky enough to have two founding members now who are also sober. Um, one of them's 15 years sober, very lucky for that. And one of them's seven years sober. I was able to look at, and they were living in the house. So I was able to look at them and I was able to, to see how happy they became after getting sober and changing their lives around. So there was a, for me, my rock bottom was like one day where I was like this hamster wheel. I was like getting up and I was drinking and I was doing drugs and I was bulimic and I was throwing up and I was going to bed. And it was like, it was every day, it's every day. And I wasn't living, I was just existing every day. Mm. And there was just one day I just, I looked at my mom and I could see, or my sibling, whatever. And I was like, I want what you've got. And it wasn't even external. It wasn't like they had money. I mean, I grew up having money, but it was more like they were content. They were happy. And I wasn't, I hated myself so much. And I turned around to my mom and I said, I need to go to rehab. And she knew that I had problems, but she couldn't force me into rehab. Because I fully believe and we fully believe and we know that you can't make anyone get better until they want to get better. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it was my, it was my, it was my thing. I was, it was one day I just broke down and I just said to my mom, I want to go into rehab. And then the following, you know, week, I went into rehab for four months to get help and it was the best thing I ever did. Well, amazing. I mean, you, you can see the, the life you lead now and how, well, just far removed that is from what you're doing, you know? Oh. Uh, so talk, talk us through it. So you went into rehab. What did the next four months look like? Well, it was like intense therapy and it was groups. It was like, I'd be in rooms with like people from all walks of life and I'm, I'm your typical Jewish like princess growing <laughs> Jewish princessy mentality and the reason why I say that is because most of my friends were like wealthy people like most of my friends were very like superficial people I'm nothing against Jewish people but like they had good money they had they had good jobs like I, I went to a private school like I was very I was very lucky with that sense but never have I experienced being in a room with drug addicts never had experience of being in rooms of people that had like fucking hardships and right. that, that was but that was one of the most incredible things that was one of the things that brought me down to earth it was like lauren you're not fucking important sorry i'm swearing so much lauren, <laughs> you're important. like you're actually one of many people because i thought the world owed me something because i was this this and this and this right. and i literally went in and there were psychotherapists there that sat me down and they were like, they were so straight up. They challenged me so much. I needed it because I went in very egotistic and I think my addictions led me to be very, you know how like bullies are bullies because they're insecure. Yeah. That was like me. I was very like, I'm the shit. I look at me, I'm Lauren White. I'm so cool. That's like what I was like when I went in. Like I thought I was cool. And they turned around to me and they were like, you're not cool. Like, you need to get off this high horse. Like, I remember I was doing a beauty pageant modeling and they were like, you can't go. And I was like, why? They were like, because you're gonna drink or if, you're, if, you, if you win, you're gonna be like, they were so straight up with me and they challenged me. Like there was one day I walked in with like, you know, a, a crop top, like you could see my belly and they're like, why, why are you doing that? And I'm like, because I wanna look good. And it was very much like, they just took- They, de they deconstructed you kind of thing. They took, they literally took, every single egotistic thing out of me and they made me finally get vulnerable 
Because like I said, drugs and alcohol make you not feel. And I didn't feel my feelings. And they, they made me feel my feelings. And I broke down. And I remember sitting there and being like, I need to be strong. I need to be strong. I need to be strong. I can't show emotion. Because that's why I got taught at a young age. And they were yeah. like, it's weakness that binds us together, not strength. And for the first time in my life, I started to get honest about what was going on for me. And for four months straight, it was like they were really helping me become who I really was. And honestly, if anyone's listening to this right now and you're suffering inside and you're self-sabotaging and you relate to anything, like the true meaning of life is to be happy. And in order to be happy, you need to go find yourself and you need to get vulnerable. You need to get honest and you talk about your shit. You just need to talk about it and you need to not feel, you know, pride. Like when people, when people ask me how I am, I don't sit there and say, yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'm good today, but if I'm not good, I'm not good. And I'm yeah. honest about it. And, and that's how I've become the person I am today because I don't care what people think. You know, I spent my whole life caring what others think and it led yeah. me to addictions. Well, how many years has it been since the initial four-month period of rehab? How many years of sobriety have you, uh, are you at now? Um, I got sober on the 11th of February 2013, so it would be about eight, eight. eight and a quarter years. Well, congratulations, first of all. That, that's incredible. What's the, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in sobriety that you wish that you could you know, take away and give to you know someone like you were just saying who's going through trouble or even to yourself at 11 you know when you when you're about to drink alcohol for the first time what what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in that eight-year period that you wish you could just pass on yeah well first of all drugs and alcohol are, are, are just a substance they're not the problem you know because a lot of people what they do when they get sober is they go oh well i'm not drinking or doing drugs anymore or I'm not, you know, eating loads of chocolate anymore, or I'm not on social media anymore, and that's going to fix me. Um, that's just the that's just the coping mechanism that you pick up. It's actually you. So drugs and alcohol are the pro- are the solution to the problem, and the problem is really me. Um, until I started to do intense therapy, and still until uh, until I started to do trauma therapy, which is a interlink of you know addiction. Yeah, which Russell Brand talks about all the time. Until you start to, you know, really find out, you know, who you are and what you want in your life and what makes you happy. You talk about feelings and emotions. You start to really learn the tools to be able to cope with life. Then you're just going to pick up another substance because the substance is a substance. Like I, you know, I went back into rehab at 21, and and it wasn't drinking drugs or it wasn't bulimia. It was work. And it was people pleasing. So I was really successful, but I was still overtraining, trying to be this perfect person, trying to have a status. And it led me to wanting to kill myself because I couldn't cope with it. I was waking up every day and I was overworking, making myself ill, overtraining, over this, over that, just because I was so scared to just do nothing. And I always say in every single podcast, it's actually an art to do nothing. It's easy to do everything, but actually sit in a room and be okay with you is the most hardest thing ever. And I had to relearn these skills by learning to like self-acceptance, accepting myself from the good and the bad and the ugly. I'm not perfect. So I spent my whole life trying to get a six pack thinking that I had to make look like this. 
I'm at this age now where I just don't care. Like, I love myself for who I am. I love myself for, you know, making mistakes. I love myself for, you know, um, being single and in, in being 28. You know what I mean? Like these things that I used to be like, oh my God, this is like the end of me. I'm like, no, that doesn't define me. Like what defines me is being happy. So if I can wake up every day and go to bed with my head on the pillow and be happy, then I've done my job. That is what I feel life is about. But also, you know, if you can go back to your childhood and you go back to who you were from the beginning, you can start to find out who, what you like. So for me, my journey of self-discovery is not around sobriety. It's around finding out like what Lauren likes. You know, because yeah. for so many years I was trying to fit in with everyone else trying to, you know, when I worked out, when I worked in clubs every night, I'd have to wear dresses and heels and have to look after people and I have to do this. And I'm, and it was tiring. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Because I was scared to break away from that, that, that person that everyone knew. That sheep mentality. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And now it's like on Saturday, like this Saturday night, I'm not doing anything. Like, I don't care. Like Lauren doesn't want to go out. <laughs> Why does Lauren have to go out? Yeah. No, I totally, I totally get it. And um, it all boils down to what, what you were saying is um, finding out what makes you your, you know, it's finding your authentic truth, find out what makes you tick, what you like as, as young as you can. You know, the earlier you learn that, the more fulfilling a life you will lead. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you get to a point where you make yourself accountable for doing things that make you happy? Well, it's about habits and behaviors, isn't it? So like, you know, when you get, when you, when a habit's created, it becomes a subconscious act. Yeah. And what I did was I, I, I stripped back everything when I got sober and I went back to basics. Like mm. how to, how do you start walking? You walk. So I went <laughs> back to like, take myself out of society and start doing the things that Lauren wants to do. So I just wake up and what I like to say in life coaching is like the 1%, not like, I don't think about the future. Like I actually am much happier when I'm in the day. I'm not worrying about tomorrow, the next day and the next day. Sometimes it gets me in trouble because I'm so in the day that like people would message me and they'd be like, can you just worry about next week? And I'm like, no, like I'm happier in the now. Like if you've read Eckhart Tolle, he talks about the power of now. Like for me, it's like, if I can wake up and I can have a nice breakfast and I can um, have a nice lunch, go to the gym, put my head in the pillow, that's my day done. And if I do it repetitively every day, that's become a habit. So that's how I recreate it. And I make it simple. I don't, you know, overwork myself or exert myself. And what I used to do, which led me to so many self-sabotaging behaviors, was I used to book myself up. I used to do 50 million things in a day and I used to get so overwhelmed to the point where I was like, I have a nervous breakdown. And I see this very, very common in London. Like people feel like they have to fill up their days. The fear of missing out, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. fight mentality, yeah. I've, I've got friends that have messaged me, like they got really good with it in lockdown and now they're back out of lockdown. They're like doing 12, 13 hour days and then they're burning out. Yeah. Burnout is real. Oh, 100% burnout is real. Um, you know, just drawing back on what you were saying there, I think it's just once you realize the the pillars or, you know, like, well, the pillars of your existence, so to speak, you know, the, the, the few things that you have to fulfill each day really just to make you tick and, 
you know, just get out of bed in the morning. Once you fulfill those things on a daily basis, that makes everything else in life, um, you know, just go more smoothly. For me, you know, when I go up, when I, with my day, I know that if I take care of my diet, if I know, I know if I take care of my exercise and I know if I get a, a fairly good night's sleep, if I fulfill those three categories, I know that I am the best possible Jamie to deal with that day, if you know what I mean. And I think that if I'd have known that when I was 15, 16 years old, it would have helped me, you know, it, it just would have helped me, you know, and I completely agree with you. Once we, once you realize that we have these, these, um, these pillars, I think you can just live a more fulfilled life. But, yeah. you know, as you've alluded to anyway, Lauren, you, um, you said that you're, you're now, well, you're an addiction specialist, life coach, motivational speaker. How did you get into to doing that? Um, motivational speaking came when I was 18. So I started working with the Amy Winehouse Foundation and the Princess Trust when I first got sober. Um, I started going into schools and doing talks around drugs and alcohol, which is something that I was doing before COVID, but COVID hit. Mm-hmm. I think I want to fall back into as well. So I was going into schools and doing talks for, you know, kids. And I loved it because I feel like your addiction starts from even before the addiction like I said so Mm. 11 year olds may not even be touching drinking drugs but they may be doing something they may be going home and like overeating or gaming or you know and it's like having that awareness like the awareness is so important um so I started doing that and then I actually lived in Hong Kong for three years working out there and doing it out there um I did talks for mind charity I did talks for you know brands I did talks for events and I love motivational speaking. And like what I do now is I do talks for like companies on like well-being, on like exam stress. Um, I do talks on like with brands, I'm doing a talk tonight, I'm doing a talk on Sunday for a wellness event. Um, just around like the same thing, really, like you know, my story, my journey, finding your authentic truth, being the best version of yourself that you can be, you know, putting in boundaries, not people pleasing, um, standing up to your own self-worth, learning to love yourself, like all of these things are like the key things before even touching drinking drugs, and then how to stay away from self-sabotaging behaviors, and how to break habits and stuff like that, and um, and then the life coaching actually came last year, um, I didn't. It, I did a master's in addiction psychology, so I became an addiction counsellor, um, which I do do, and I have clients. But the life coaching was also a kind of side gig that I wanted to do because it was around neurolinguistic programming, which is like the programming of the brain of how we, yeah. you know, program our thinking. Like everything we, you know, tell ourselves on a daily basis is how we think and feel. So if you have these self-limiting beliefs, which is like, I'm not good about, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, you know, the more we do that, we feel that, the more we're going to portray that. And with my clients, I help them with that. I help them understand that the programming is so important. We're all programmed in different ways and it all comes from our childhood. You know, if I grew up thinking I was fat, I will convince myself I'm fat. And then I'll get to my adult age and we'll look in the mirror and think I'm still fat when I'm not. You know, it's just how it works. And a lot of people aren't aware of it and they constantly beat themselves up. They constantly put themselves down. And it's like, you need to portray that positivity. Like you would to a friend, you need to tell yourself how good you are. And it sounds so corny, but things like gratitude lists and affirmations and, you know, just starting to do what you want to do in life helps so much. So that's what I do with my clients. Um, 
and yeah it's it's going really well like I love it like it's my purpose in life I feel like I found my purpose through getting sober and yeah I mean like that's why I don't regret getting sober that's why I don't regret going through what I went through because it's got me to where I am today and I fully believe if if everyone can find their purpose in life they could be happy because we all are meant to have a purpose oh 100 I mean there's so much to unpack in there um in terms of you know, you're on the money with with so much of that I, I I can still remember having lifestyle coaches come into me when I was in year eight I remember there being graphic pictures on the the sports hall wall of um you know what happens to you after you smoke and you know having those images that you know just burned into my mind as a as a 12 year old kid that put me off smoking for life you know there are there are so many um so many valuable things in in what in what what you were talking about and you know just drawing back to you know people when they when you start doing your what you want to do in life you know and living a life that you want to lead you know your life just does ultimately improve and i think that's what I think for a lot of people, that's what um, lockdown has actually forced them into. You know, I've, I've waxed lyrical about it on, in, in the past. I think lockdown was a period of introspection. You know, a lot of people were forced into uncomfortable circumstances that were just unfathomable, really. And they were forced to, you know, look at themselves in the mirror and maybe address things that they didn't like about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it sounds like you're providing a, a lifestyle co- coaching like uh, service that essentially helps people work through those feelings and, um, you know, lead a more fulfilled life. But where can they find you? Sorry, where can our listeners find you, Lauren? Um, so I've actually got my website up now, which is really good. Um, it's laurenmentor.com. Um, yep. you've got everything there. So you've got all everything that I do. You've got my motivational speaking there. You've got my life coaching. You've got my addiction counselling. You've got you know um couple of articles that are in you've got testimonials there you've got my instagram which is i'm lauren white um if you want to follow me and dm me but most is on my website my instagram um if anyone wants to you know message me wants to do a consultation wants to do a discovery call with me wants to know more about what i do um you know i'm essentially here to basically guide you and help you be happier in a happier life but my main my main because with my clients, like they always say, you've got to find clients that are kind of like what you were. Like most of my clients relate to me because I've been through what they've been through and they're able to open up and get honest. So like most of my clients are really high achievers that on the outside have everything, but still are self-sabotaging and living this like perfectionist mentality where they think that they need to get it right. And they're constantly beating themselves up on a daily basis because they get things wrong. And it's like, no, that like, trust me, you need to learn how to love yourself when mistakes are meant to be made. And that's where self-acceptance and self-love happen. And, you know, I work through that with my clients and I've had amazing, amazing reception with them and they're like my mates. And it's so nice because they're able to open up and get honest with me. And I want to open up that safe space because I'm the most unjudgmental person. Like I've been through it all, but also, you know, I'm the type of person where like, I don't, I don't look at you as problems. I look at you as the person and then there's the problems do you know what i mean that makes perfect sense and i'll make sure that you know um all your details are in the the link in the description guys so if you want to find lauren you know you you can find her on our instagram you can also find her on our website and the links to all those will be in the description in the meantime thanks ever so much for coming on today lauren very welcome and i'll catch you it's been amazing yeah finally yeah we've been trying to pencil this in for weeks but 
we got it done. And uh, in the meantime, guys, thanks ever so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Guys, see you next week. Um, I'm not next week. <laughs> <laughs>